Welcome to the By the Hood podcast. Before we start this episode, could you do me a favor? Could you rate and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts? And also, could you subscribe to our YouTube channel? That's at youtube.com slash by the hood. What's up, people? Welcome to this episode of the By the Hood podcast or webcast because I don't know how you're consuming this content. I'm your host as always. My name is Jimmy. And as we start off every show, that's with gratitude. Just want to say thank you to all of our supporters. Um, anyone who uh, shares a video, buys merch, of course, whatever we want to say, we appreciate all the love because we, we do get a lot of love and support. Um, if you're watching this on the video, please be sure that you hit that like button. Make sure you subscribe. If you're listening on uh, Apple or Spotify or Google Podcasts, please leave us uh, feedback on there as well. Um, rate the show because um, that will help us out. But we, we just want to say thank you because we are appreciative of all the support we got thus far. Shout out to everybody buying those by the hood hoodies because it is hoodie season. I got my partner in crown with me always, Corey. Corey, what's going on, good brother? Man, living La Vida Loca. Every day above ground is a good day, man. This, this is absolutely true. This is absolutely true. And for those who may be listening or tuning in for the first time, our platform is designed to highlight brothers and sisters who are doing positive work in the community. That could be building businesses. It could be community activism. Um, we've talked from people from all walks of life, uh, real estate investors to stock market investors, options traders, community activists. Um, this brother we have on right here is a very special guest. Uh, he's a partner with us in our investment group. So we have an all black investment group here based out of Philly that we, um, you know, get together and we invest as a group, uh, which I think is very important. In fact, we had the president of our investment group in the past episode. Um, you know, so make sure you check that out. Make sure you check out Joel and, um, in our, our library and our catalog of episodes because he was on here before. But this brother, outside of being a, a partner of ours in our investment group, he's a real estate developer investor and he's doing amazing work right here in the city of philadelphia so without further ado i want to welcome on willard willard how are you hey, hey what's going on jimmy i'm all good oh man listen um you, you're doing amazing work in real estate development which is inspiring for a lot of uh you know um the, the people here in philadelphia but can you tell us about your background you know where are you from um what schools that you attend things like that okay um i'm originally from chester pennsylvania uh, I've come to Philadelphia uh, via Temple University, uh, played football. So uh, growing up in Chester, one thing I, I learned early that you know, I was pretty good in sports and that was always a goal to get a scholarship, go to college. I chose Temple University coming out of Chester. I had some other options, but uh, met a very young coach at that time who came in, talked to me. I was a quarterback in high school. So uh, being recruited as a quarterback was very important to me, even though I know I could play other positions. But uh, very young Bruce Arians was the head coach of Temple at that time. And he was a quarterback himself in college and high school. And he came in and talked to me. And un unlike a lot of other schools who were only recruiting me as a defensive back, wide receiver, he actually recruited me as a quarterback. And uh, he was very, very magnetic at that time where – you just were drawn to his confidence. So I decided to go to Temple University. Uh, as far as my background growing up, you know, I had great parents. My, my father, my mother, uh, my mother's just a, a strong spiritual woman, uh, all, very good nurture, always encouraging me. 
my father, you know, at the time when I was growing up, I thought my father was like the smartest man in the world. He just knew everything. And he didn't have a college degree. You know, he went to the Navy, but uh, he was very conscious and had a lot of books in our house. So so my journey to Temple University, when I, I got to Temple University, uh, originally I was going to, well, I did. I, I majored in journalism because I like to write. You know, I read a lot. Um, started off in journalism with a, a minor in business. Uh, but something I didn't know prior to going to Temple, I didn't know that Temple had uh, perhaps the most progressive African-American studies program in the country. In fact, at that time, I didn't even know you could major in African-American studies. <laughs> uh, actually, you know, so so I, 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 when I had to take electives, I saw, okay, there's an introduction to Black studies. So I took that course, and that was actually my second class. My first class was a Journalism 101. Then I had introduction to black studies. And then I found out things that I found out that um, Bobby Seals was actually a professor at, there at the time. And my father was actually a black panther. So when I found that out, I went home, told my dad, Look, hey, dad, did you know this? Bobby Seals is here. Then I found out so many other, you know, very uh, high profile Afro Afrocentric people were there at Temple University, Dr. Uh, Malefo Sante. So after my first year in journalism, I actually switched over to African-American studies. Uh, so as an African-American studies major, you know, just being very conscious of who and who I am was always important. And, and that program helped me to grow even more. Uh, mm. A lot of books uh, that we read, I actually already had read because my father had them, but uh, just going through that program gave me even more confidence uh, what I wanted to do. And one thing I, I learned early is, I really didn't want to do the nine to five. So not wanting to do the nine to five, you know, I, my, my focus was I want to go into business. Even though I was in African-American studies, I knew I wanted to do business. Uh, Interesting. So upon leaving Temple University, uh, I just needed a job. So I, I found myself looking for a job one day and I see this ad, the University of Pennsylvania has a uh, opening for police officers. And this this is the <laughs> funny thing. I actually was part of a major demonstration at Temple University. I think this back in 87, 88, mm -hmm. where we actually shut down Temple for about three hours because there was an incident. Uh, one of my teammates were involved and a couple other guys. They got into a little scuffle with Temple police. Uh, and it was with a white fraternity that they weren't a fight with. But when the Temple Police showed up, they actually put all the black people involved in handcuffs, took them down. They took the white guys down in the van unhandcuffed. And there wow. was actually a fight that broke out, you know, during that time. And one of the black police officers actually had to assist the black students at that time that were getting beat down by the white police officers. So this was a uh, a big incident that we we staged a major protest and everything against the Temple Police at that time. Uh, and at that time, I was the vice president of Afro-American's uh, Student Union. Uh, so, going, uh, I get this opportunity to become a police officer because, I, like I said, at that time, I just needed a job. And I was selected 12 out of 1,200 people. I got hired by the University of Pennsylvania, uh, and I became a police officer there. At the same time, I started working at night, 11 to 7. And during the day, I was doing my thing because I started a T-shirt business when I was in college. Um, 
And I also had some other businesses going as far as uh, just uh, doing retail, selling women's clothing, whatever I could do, I was, I was mm -hmm. doing. But I always knew that real estate was my end game. Because uh, another thing, I let me back up. I actually wanted to be an architect. Uh, but I went to a football camp uh, at Syracuse just before my senior year. And the coach at that time mentioned about, you know, well, if you wanted to come to this program, you couldn't go into architecture because of the time restraint. And so I found out the same thing was true at Temple and pretty much anywhere you go. So, uh, but I always, I always like to draw and I always used to draw houses. So I always knew I wanted to get into design and doing houses. Uh, so when I was at University of Pennsylvania, just like Temple, just another surprise come along. The University of Pennsylvania back in like in the early 90s, mid 90s, mm -hmm. started a purchasing program where as an employee, you could buy a home and the university was associated with the various banks in the area and the realtors, and they created a catchment area, which I think a lot of people are aware of now, where basically it would gentrify an area. And what they did was as an employee, you could buy a, 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 a house and as long as you were approved, the university would uh, give you, uh, basically they would back you for 105% finance as long as you were employed. And so basically they gave you 100% to buy the property plus 5% towards closing. And they started rolling out this program and early on, a lot of people weren't paying attention. And but I used to just read everything when I was on campus. There. I'd read everything, what's going on. Um, they rolled out this program, and even before they 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 advertised they were going to build a school. Um, and that school was built, I think, finally completed in 2001. That was Penn Alexander, which is a K to eight school. It's a public school, but it's funded by the University of Pennsylvania. And when I bought my first duplex, I think in '96. The school wasn't built yet. They were just talking about it. At the time, I had no children. I wasn't married. And I just felt something was going on here. I just like, ah, I got to buy something here. Uh, so I bought a duplex uh, on 46th Street. Uh, at that time, the houses in the area, University, University City, three-story Victorian twins, they were going for Anywhere from fifty to one hundred twenty thousand. You were at one hundred twenty thousand. That was pretty high. So mm -hmm. I came across a duplex. It was on the market originally at one twenty, but it set on the market for like seven or eight months. Uh, so I put in an offer. I actually ended up getting it for ninety five thousand dollars. That was my first duplex. And like I said, I'm already having other businesses going along, but this is my first venture in the real estate. So I get it for 95,000. The sweet thing about it is not only didn't I not bring any money, but they had to give me a check because the security deposit in the other unit, they had to hand that over to me. So mm -hmm. I actually bought a duplex, no money down. They gave me a check and I was in business. The other unit pretty much covered like 90% of the mortgage. So, so I was in business as far as real estate, but uh, I wanted more and I, I just want to cut you off for one second. A couple of things I want to go based on what you said already. First off, for the people that don't know, um, Bruce Arians, who recruited him, is now the head coach of uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, and Tom Brady. So um, that, that shows what kind of football player you were that, uh, you know, he saw some talent in you because this guy's now a professional um, 
football coach. Um, that's the one thing I want to point that out just for those who may not know who he was talking about. Um, the second thing, which is interesting, is about your experience at Temple and starting in business and journalism and then making your transition over into African-American studies and what that had done, has done for you. Um, you know, we can dig a little bit deeper into that. But also your point about Penn Alexander. Right. So I, I think that's an amazing you made a couple amazing points, which is why I just want to uh, slow down real fast and oh, highlight no it because mm -hmm. um, it's because, uh, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, I'm in the process of creating is a, a real estate analysis course, which shows people how to. Uh, how to value property. And one of the examples in the course is actually Penn Alexander, because that's a great example of um, external influences creating value in a neighborhood, right? So you talk about the research that you did with those different programs. I can tell you like for a fact that Penn has done it with right there with the Penn Alexander school, because school was such a good school that anything in proximity to it shot up in value. So the little oh, catchment yeah. district around that school became very valuable. Um, mm -hmm. When the University of Penn bought the graduate hospital, they ran that same type of program where um, if you were an employee of the hospital, a doctor, nurse, whatever, they would like give you financing to buy around around that area. That gentrified that entire area. So, you know, you saw properties go from 40,000 to 400,000 within a matter of uh, less than a decade. Um, oh, yeah. So I think that's... Mm -hmm. That's something great to point out with real estate is a lot of times is external influences like big organizations or schools or companies deciding to, you know, kind of invest in that area. And you can mm -hmm. take advantage of that as, as a real estate investor. You can definitely take advantage of that if you're if you're aware of what's going on, if you have that knowledge. So I think that was important to point out for the folks watching to uh, mm -hmm. understand exactly what it is that he's saying. So by you having that knowledge and making that purchase of that duplex. Um, I kind of see where this story is going. How'd that work out for you? Well, you talk about the appreciation. <laughs> <laughs> I found out, I found a loophole. I, I knew a, a young lady that was part of the board that ran the program. She told me that I could go through the program again as long as I agreed or as long as I went through the process of refinancing out of the first one within a year. So I found another duplex, but this it got better. They went from 105%. They gave you the 105%, plus they added a $15,000 grant that you could apply to the purchase or rehab. So I went through the program a second time, still having the first one, found a duplex for $85,000, which is actually still currently the house I live in. Uh, actually got it for 70,000 because they gave me the $15,000 grant. Once again, no money out of my pocket. I had the other unit. Now I was able to rent out both units in my first unit, moved into my other place. And um, even though it's zoned as a duplex, it's really, this one was really, my other property was truly separated as a duplex. This one is just the big three-story Victorian twin that was separated by doors and, you know, makeshift yeah. walls and stuff like that. So anyway, so I get the second one for $70,000 and that, that $15,000 grant was forgivable over seven years. So one seventh of that disappeared every year as long as you were in the property. Now, the year goes by, I think I'm two, two, two or three years into my first property. I have to refinance out of it because of the, the, the you know, the program's uh, guidelines. That $95,000 property that I bought in 96, come 1999, 
it was worth $250,000. So in three years, it shot up $150,000. So refinancing was not only not a problem, I was able to refinance and pull money out of it. So I think I pulled maybe $50,000, $60,000 out of it, and we were going shopping again. And, and in addition to those two, <laughs> now I was able to go start buying some single family houses in West Philadelphia. Actually, one property I bought down the street from me, I think I bought it for about $18,000 cash from an older woman. Got a couple other ones. So now I, I got into the Section 8 game. So in addition to my first duplex, I, I picked up two or three more properties within a year or two. And, you know, and we, we were rolling them. So, so that nice. appreciation. Uh, one thing. One thing. One thing I want to point out, too, you were able to do this because of the program by you taking that job. You were able to leverage that job to uh, take uh, take advantage of some of those programs. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I think It's also important to point out because you figured out a way to, to, to work a job and leverage it to get you to the point where you don't longer need it. Right. So I, I think that's go. important to point out. Too, There's nothing wrong with having as long as you're being you're, you were very strategic. So it's about working smart. Right. You said, I'll take this job. They have these programs. I'm going to use these programs. And then you found a loophole within the program that allows you to really level up um, based upon just working at that at that specific university. So oh, I think that's um, awesome. He just, he just read. Yeah. Like, because most people will take these jobs. They don't read anything. Exactly. And they, don't get a, they don't get a chance to take advantage of all of the stuff that's happening. You know what? He, took, he was able to take advantage because he worked. That's a great point. Because <laughs> you, you don't know how many people I talk to. I talk to people all the time that um work at jobs that have like generous 401k plans and they're not contributing to them. And I'm just like, you know, they realize they're going to match every dollar up to a certain amount. That's a hundred percent return. You've been here 15 years and haven't even taken advantage of this. You, you done uh, lost a million dollars already. So I think it's important to understand when you have these jobs, what are some of the benefits out there that, and the job's probably mm -hmm. making up too. Cause listen, most people probably don't take advantage of it. So they can say, look, we offer it, but you don't take advantage of it. That's on you. You know, so I think that's important to point out. I think that's an amazing uh, thing Willie, that you took the time to uh, read and figure out. All right. How can I work this program? And then you work it to your advantage. So now you're in the Section 8 game with Section 8 tenants. Um, you know, you own multiple doors at this point. Um, I know you also, uh, if I'm not mistaken, aren't you also um, didn't you like move into North Philly with some of your investments? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean. I, I end up buying a lot more property. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I mainly started in University City. You know, I was I was working, you know, as far as student housing, uh, got into Section 8, started in West Philadelphia. But, you know, as I went along, I, I, I learned more things. So it's that whole applied information. Uh, I learned about other auctions. I, I ended up buying properties through the uh, DA's auction. You know that drug for uh drug siege property. So uh, that that ended up. I bought a couple of properties in North Philly. I have some properties up in the Kensington area that actually been sitting. I've been sitting on those for about fifteen years now. Um, that mm -hmm. I you know I bought years ago. Um, so yeah, uh, got into some other properties and you know everything was real sweet. And actually, come two thousand three, I was hired at Penn at ninety one. Mm -hmm. Bought my first property in 96. Uh, by 2001, I had about 20-something units. And, okay. you know, this was on a police salary. I, when I started, I, I, was, I wasn't married at the time when I started. But then I met my wife. My, when I met my wife, she actually had a condo. 
So that was thrown into the mix. I moved her from Jersey to Philadelphia, and we still rented out the condo. Um, so, so things were moving along. Um, yeah. 2003 comes around. Um, uh, go back to Penn. As a police officer, I eventually became, Penn formed a partnership with uh, the Police Athletic League of Philadelphia. So we opened a PAL Center in um, um, West Philly, Southwest, right there on the border, Willing Avenue. And I was made a director with my athletic program. I mean, background, excuse me. Uh, I got the position and that was real sweet because I went from, now I'm not working the streets. I'm working basically from uh, three o'clock in the afternoon, well, two o'clock to about nine, 10 o'clock at night. But I'm working with kids now. I'm Monday through Friday. So, and I had a I had a, a police athletic league van that I took home with me. And the PAL Center was actually five blocks straight down the street from my house. So I'm working in my neighborhood. I'm working with the kids. And that was really a blessing. And let me go back to Temple. Like I said, when Temple, when I went there, I didn't know certain things. Same thing with Penn. Like as far as the programs, I took the job. I didn't know about all these programs. I think God just puts you in a certain place and you got to go part that information and then apply mm -hmm. that information. And that's what happened at Penn, you know, with the real estate. I learned some things. I applied it. Uh, this other blessing came up with pal so now i'm i'm able to do something i wanted to do also i wanted to go into coaching but i really never had the time but now i'm actually running a a program with kids where i'm not just coaching but we're also doing academic programs and we're taking kids to various places so so once again just being blessed by being in the right place and just taking advantage of the opportunities that's coming along and that's amazing. Uh, I, Right. So I, I so the kids, so the kids, in, like I said, it was basically my neighborhood. So I'm working with the kids in my neighborhood. At the same time, I'm developing, you know, my, my real estate program. I have a couple and, questions. Um, mm -hmm. You played for Temple back in uh, the late 80s. Were, were you on a team with uh, Jeffrey Thomas, um, the good brother out of Chicago? Jeffrey Thomas is one of my best friends. Jeff, oh, yeah, that's Jeff, my guy. Me, Jeff, when I said now when I said what we were doing, we started an organization called 18 Generation African American Men. Uh Jeff was also an African American studies major. Oh man, I can't believe you. What are you talking about? Yeah, I no, actually, yeah, I, I I I met Jeff through my work in uh, in, in sports media. So um and so okay. it's funny because you know yeah, he's a good brother. He's a good, good brother. And I was thinking about him when you said that, because I remember him telling me about him playing for Temple back then. So anyway, that's let, a let side note. Let me tell note. you this story. Yeah, let me tell you this. Uh -huh. In our locker room, our lockers were situated according to our numbers. Now, I was number 19. Uh, Jeff came in as a junior college transfer in my, I think, second year, second or third year. Jeff was given a number 20. So me and Jeff's numbers were right, lockers were right next to each other. One day I okay. have a book with me and it's God, the black man and the truth. Okay. And this is the um, Hebrew Israelites. Okay. Jeff sees the book. Now, like I said, my father was in the Black Panthers. Jeff looks at the book, picks it up and said, I've read this before. Finds out his father was a Hebrew Israelite, not just one that talked about it. his father actually moved back to Africa. All right. Went to okay. Israel, Ethiopia, actually 
we got to talking. We had so much in common. There's another brother who was on the team. And actually, you went to Central, right? Yes, I did. Yeah. Okay, he's from Central. Got to talk. He grew up in the nation of Islam. We all got to talking, yep. man. Find out we're all on the team together. And we all have this insight from our backgrounds, our parents. So mm -hmm. we started an organization called 18 Generation African Eric, 18 Generation African American Men. I was the president, Jeff was the vice president. Uh we started programs where we was working in the community around Temple. There's actually a program we adopted. It was a, a program for school age parents. So high school girls that got pregnant. So we would tutor them, uh, mentor them. And we were involved with, 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 you know, a lot of things as far as helping them develop. Um, now, when I talk, talk to you about that whole um, protest against the uh, police at Temple University, yeah, we we were involved in that as an organization. Also, I was part of the African American, African -American Student Union, but as 18 generation African American men, we were involved in that protest also because we had grown up to about uh, two dozen members and more than okay. half was football players. So we were doing a lot at Temple at that time. So, yeah, yeah. So, Jeff, yeah, that's my man. Actually, Jeff has a podcast going on now, too. He's had one for yeah, a couple of years yeah. and he just started something new. Yeah, and that, that's that's I met him through that through that circle. So he's a good brother, though. He's definitely a good brother. That's just interesting. I mm -hmm. had to ask you that. But speaking of that, it leads me to another question, right? So you talk about your love of like you know writing when you came into college. Also, um, you know, um, being conscious and, and and understanding where you come from and and, and you know uh, your history. How ha how has those things how have those things affected uh you in business, right? So obviously. You're, you you like to read and you've able to take advantage of those programs because of your propensity to go read and find information. Also, but um, would you say that it's impacted how you do business in real estate in other ways in terms of like your education, you, your love for writing and history and things like that? Oh, mo most definitely. Um, basically, it's the confidence. Um, you know, there's saying from pyramid from projects or pyramids to projects. Well, now I, my whole thing is let's reverse that from projects to pyramids. You know, I, I grew up my first 10 years of my life. I grew up in the projects. So learning about yourself, knowing that there's, there's nothing that I can't do if I put my mind to it. And there's going to be those challenges. There's going to be obstacles and even playing sports. It's like early on, I knew I had to work hard. I had to work hard, even though I was gifted with some natural ability, it still had to be developed. And the same thing is with your mind. You got to develop. It. And as a people, you know, you know, a lot has been taken from us. You know, we were uh, given a raw deal a lot of times, but we have to take our circumstances and we have to mold it. We have to mold it and, and make it into what we know it can be. Um, so getting to African American studies, and that's why I switched because it's like, man, I got to take all these courses. It's like, I can't get, keep taking electives. I need all of this. So, uh, yeah, yeah I, I needed it all. And, and, and then some of the people that came through there, some of the people Dr. Sante brought through there. I mean, a lot of the books that people read, a lot of those guys came to tell me, you know, uh, Ivan Van Sertema, uh, you know. Um, yeah. It's just a whole gamut of people just, just coming through. Nice. I like that whole thing from Project. From projects to pyramids, I like that. I like that. Um, next question I have for you is um, you, you mentioned being from Chester originally. 
Um, mm -hmm. Have you purchased anything out there? Are you looking to do any investment in Chester? What's your opinion of the real estate market in Chester? I've never bought anything in Chester. Uh, being from Chester, I, I know a lot of the politics going on in Chester. And there's a lot of, a lot of things going on. Actually, I use this example. My parents, we bought our first house in 1976. My, my father and my mother bought it for $33,000. That same house, I think I looked it up about a year or so ago. That house right now is valued at a, about $60,000. So we're talking about 35 <laughs> years. That's you crazy. Know. You know, right. And I'm glad exactly. you said that, right? Because <laughs> Corey actually uh, bought and flipped the property in Chester, right? But I was telling him. I said those exact words to him when he talked about, like, why won't you go in Chester? I said, it's the politics. And I don't want to get mm -hmm. too deep into it, uh, but uh, but I, 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 I'm glad you said that because we didn't discuss this ahead of time. But you said exactly what I say all the time. Um, that's the problem with Chester. So I was just wondering whether you had that same perspective. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, 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 know you, have, you have, I mean, it, it's unfortunate, you know, when you, when you have uh, situations like Chester, where you had white flight, and now and at the time, if you don't know, Chester was a Republican city because of Delaware County, for the most part, is controlled. It used to be you couldn't get a job, like in the school district or the city, unless you were a registered Republican. And people have been stealing money for years. So yeah, even once we get into power, you know, it's still the same game. You know, money's here, and then it's, then it's gone. And I have family members who are in the politics down in Chester, you know, and mm -hmm. it just for me, that, that's, it's just sad, though, because all, all that wealth that we lose, because think about if you would have bought a thirty thousand dollar house, say, in, 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 you know, back then you could have bought one in um in Brewery Town for thirty thousand dollars back then. Right. Imagine right. what that would be worth today, as opposed to being worth 60. It might be worth six hundred. You know what I'm saying? Like exactly. that, that's a lot of wealth within a year, a lot within of a year or two. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Yeah, so it's 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 just a, a sad that you know um the, 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 the politics the, prevent the that. Politics is keep is 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 keeping the prices down because we we had another guest on that was saying that he he was going to buy half the city and they they couldn't even get it because the politics was uh so mm -hmm. trashy that mm -hmm. they couldn't yeah. even. They couldn't even do the deal. They was going to basically revitalize the city for them. Exactly. And the politicians were so trash, they couldn't even do it. So I get it. Yeah. I, 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 I yeah. get it. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's just as interesting. I had, to, I had to ask you that as someone that, that comes from there. I had to get you what your perspective was. So, you know, you're doing amazing things in the community right now, um, as well as within real estate. Um, and I, I think it's very important to highlight you because, again, you, you, you're a good brother that's doing things in the community in business but what does the future look like what are you trying to do for the future of your business are, are, are there other things you want to get into or other types of real estate you want to do well what i'm doing now and actually just before you i got on here with you i had to deal with some, a situation i actually have a strategy where you know we, we have a lot of people sitting on uh gold mines in our communities and what happens is, you know, you have these investors come in and they lowball our people and this property is worth four or five hundred thousand. But they give our people 50, 67,000 to walk away. And, you know, then they dump about one hundred, hundred fifty into it. Now it's back is up to that five hundred thousand dollar value. So what I've been strategically doing is 
hooking up with people who own these houses. And rather than me just buying it from them, I say, okay, let's partner up. Let's do this. I'm going to handle the financing, the rehabbing. We're going to get the title cleaned up. As you know, a lot of times the title is not clean. Mm -hmm. uh, so I actually have two projects right now that I'm working on where um, one one uh, uh, lady, she, she has two properties. You know, we're cleaning up the titles. Uh, one is worth half a million dollars. It's, it's sitting on Cecil B. Moore Avenue in Brewery Town. I actually have mm -hmm. a project three three blocks down the street that we're working on. Uh, so what we're doing is we're, we're, we're getting all the paperwork together and we're cleaning things up. We're going to go, you know, get the financing for it. And then we're going to bring it to that value. Um, so now instead of her just walking away with that 50, 60,000 something dollars, we're going to partner up and now she has more value. And then we'll take it to the next step. We'll go buy some more property because this is your inheritance. Let's not just mm -hmm. give it away. And so I'm using these first two as my model that, you know, uh, because it's not just about me and, and, mm -hmm. you know, and also, let, let me explain to you, I've had my downfalls. I, I left my job in 2003. Things were going good. 2007 came around. I had like three big rehabs going at the same time. Two of them were in University City. $200,000 mortgages, hard money loans. The market crashes. You know, I'm, I'm in debt up to my neck because I didn't see this coming. You know, I got credit mm -hmm. card debt. I got mortgages. I got all this going on and the money stops. And it was all downhill from there. So from 2007 to 2012, 13, I was just fighting to survive. You know, mm -hmm. I lost a lot, you know, uh, just just a lot. But believe me, I'm, I'm still <laughs> I still got blood underneath my fingernails dealing with all the blood that was, you know, lost. Then. But I had to work my way back. So in working my way back. Uh, I started working with other investors who didn't have my experience, and I used my experience to partner with them. They had the credit because at, at come 2013, I had to file bankruptcy, mm -hmm. and I should have done it earlier, but I was trying to do the noble thing and pay my debt and try to get out of it, and I should have did a Donald Trump from the beginning. I'm, what's I'm your, done with this. <laughs> what's, your biggest, what's your biggest lesson from that downfall? Like, what... Like you know, coming out of that now and making your way out of that and rebuilding, what you what would you say has been your was your biggest lesson? Uh, the debt. Uh, you you, you got to make sure you're not carrying too much of it. And um, at that time, like I said, I had not only the mortgages, I had my credit cards maxed out, lines of credit. Because you know, prior to that, I mean, getting money, all you had to do was have a pulse. And if you mm -hmm. had great credit, which I did, I had perfect credit for that. Never I had a, over 20 something mortgages, never missed a mortgage payment in 10 something years. Everything was good. But when that money stopped, and I'm telling you, I can tell you today was like July 7th. I, I had a property that was supposed to be sold like in two weeks. It was the bank had already agreed as far as the, 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 the sell, the buyer. He had the mortgage and everything. Everything shut down. He called me and said, well, his bank pulled their loan. You, I was calling around. Everybody just shut down. 2007, by 2008, you know, I was tanking. And, um, but, yes, yeah, there's too much debt where once that money flow stopped coming in, you know, I couldn't carry it. Even, even though, and then, then, the, then the rents I was getting 
because everybody was in trouble, I started missing those payments. So, and that I wasn't living off of that anyway. That was just, you know, money that was extra change. I, I basically was living off of just rehabbing problems because that's another thing as far as what I do is I'm very much, I'm not very much, I'm, I'm involved in all my projects. I don't just hand my projects over to a contractor and walk away. I'm, I GC everything. I'm involved with everything. I make all the decisions all the designs, but that goes back to my architecture, what I wanted to do. I like the design houses and everything. So I'm involved. But um, just to answer your question, it's like, yeah, it's just can't have too much debt. And, and where I am now, uh, I don't have the cash that I once had or even the, the number of properties, but I don't have that debt. And, and that's what's able me to move and maneuver. I don't have that. And and that's, that's how I plan on keeping it. That's amazing. Uh, I just don't want it. That's a, I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you why that's a, a great point. And I know our listeners are like Jimmy. You tell the story all the time, but um, I had a similar situation, but not the same because I didn't get caught up getting like you know. I, I got lucky. Let's say that because mm-hmm. I, I was getting. I got out of a lot of properties before everything went completely downhill. Um, but the reason I got out of a lot of properties is because, um, like you said, the money they were giving away back then, like oh four oh five, was just like, I, you know, I can get a half a million dollars without showing any documents, right? Mm-hmm. So. I was buying up everything, and I think at the at the max, I was close to about a little, maybe, maybe a little bit over. I had like sixty doors, and mm-hmm. when I sat back one day and I started putting them on an Excel spreadsheet, between the mortgages and the expenses, I wasn't really making any money. So here right. I am, you know, going around <laughs> telling people I, I own all this real estate, and they're like, "Man, you mm-hmm. own millions and millions of real estate," and I'm like, "I ain't right. making no money." So exactly. I started selling stuff off. And I said, "I'm only going to keep the stuff that I want to keep." So now I have less mm-hmm. doors and make more money. And right. I think it's important to talk about um, to talk about debt in a realistic way, because everybody tells you the game, how you play the game and you do these things and you get this credit and you buy these things. But everything goes in cycles. So when that cycle goes down and you got all that debt, you get caught out there. You know, everybody's a genius. Everybody's a genius when everything's doing good. But what mm-hmm. happens when everything goes bad? You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And mm-hmm. that's why I think it's important to talk about debt in an honest and realistic way. Um, because you just gotta be smart. You just gotta be smart about it. That's all. Um, oh yeah, oh yeah, man. You you giving us a lot of gems this episode. A uh, couple more questions though before we go. Um, and th- two thousand seven eight may have been your biggest hurdle, but what would you say has been your biggest hurdle, if not that, in your journey to get to where you are now? So from where you started, you know, throughout your journey, and now now you're involved in the community. You're doing great work in real estate. What has been your biggest hurdle? Um, unfortunately, I would have to say just dealing with the mentality of people. Um, you know, what you mean by you're that? Things, you, you want everybody to to prosper and eat and see what you see. And I've spent years trying to convince people that they they can have more, they can do more, and be more. And it gets frustrating that you know after a while. So. For me, that's been the toughest thing. But what I've learned is that you're not going to save everybody. And what you have to do, and that's why the group that we're in, I love this. I was in an investment group before. Actually, I've been in two other ones before. And those, those, you know, they each each were a stage. The first one lasted about two or three years. I learned some things. I mean, we were a good group, but things went wrong. The second group, we were together for maybe six or seven years, maybe even longer. We cashed out at some point and we had went through the crash together and everything. 
but now I'm at this third stage and it's like I'm more seasoned and I do real estate. I know you, you got, you, you're big in stocks and everything. I'm not a big stock guy, but I know, you know, that's part of the game. So my whole thing is to be with like-minded people. And so just getting over that hurdle of being disappointed by people, uh, that's been the biggest thing. And because even now today, I, I want family members to be involved. In, this is the funny thing. I have people that know me. They'll put more stock into the fact that when the market crashed, I lost all this money. And then, you know, when things are going on and you're dealing with things, people know what's going on because, you know, you, you're making calls, you're doing this. They'll put more stock in that than what I did before and what I've done after. And because that's the that negativity that people are drawn to. And and then it's amazing, you know, you have people question who never owned a house, never owned, done anything, making it seem like, oh, you don't want to do that. He don't know what he's doing. He lost all this. And it, <laughs> it's amazing. So, but um, yeah, so that, that's been the biggest thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah you know, that's interesting because like one of the things you go through is you, you want you want great things for your family and your closest friends. But sometimes that they're the most difficult people to get to buy in. But, you know, you never quit because that th those are people you love and care about. So you, you, you want what you want what's good for them. So I understand that um, mm -hmm. that struggle. OK, um, last thing I got to ask you is this, um, you know, we've been, you know, your love of, 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 of writing and reading and, and history and um, our people's history specifically. What is your favorite book or uh, you don't have to give us one. You give us a couple um, books that you love or that you learn from along your journey. Uh, I always like reading motivational books. So as a man thinketh, it's a very short read, but it's very powerful because it's just dealing with just how you think about yourself, about what you can do, that whole cultivating your mind, constantly cultivating your mind, pulling out the weeds, getting getting rid of the distractions and, and focusing on putting yourself in the right place so when those opportunities come along, you can take advantage of them. And, and I, I, I feel that that's happened throughout my life. Like I said, going to Temple first and finding about the African American Studies program, going to the University of Penn. I knew nothing about their mortgage program, but I was blessed to be there. It happened. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one book. Um, of course, everyone's that's on- James Allen. I think that's James exactly. Allen that did but as a man think of. Okay, I'm familiar with that. Yeah. So what's the next one? Uh I think something that's on most people's list, you know, autobiography, Malcolm X, of course. Uh, of course, just reading that, you know, when you're reading that book, you know, is is part of becoming a black man. You, you read what he went through, uh, how he became the Malcolm X. So that's definitely on the list. Uh, when I was younger, you know, like I said, my dad had books in the house. Uh, a book, Man Child in the Promised Land. Um, very inspirational book. Same thing, the journey of a, a black man, a black boy coming from the south to the north and just just growing up. Uh, what I say? Uh, some good books. There's right. some good books. And I, I just mm -hmm. want to mention to our audience out there that may not know um, Audible. It's finally taken and putting the autobiography of Malcolm X in audio version. So now you can get the audio book and it's actually read by Lawrence Fishburne. So I haven't oh, tried it man. out yet, but, but I'm going to do it. Like, although I've read the, I've read the book a gazillion times, but I just want to, you know, always got to, you know, support that. And I'm going to grab the audio just to hear Lawrence Fishburne read the story. But 
that should be pretty mm-hmm. good. So that just I think this past week it just released it. So um that's that's out there now. I just want to put that out there. Um, those are some great books though, Willard. Uh, listen, um, Corey, you have any questions for Willard before we get out of here, good brother? No, nah, man, I'm just proud of the work that he's done in and around the city, man. Like he 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 really do he 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 does what people talk about doing. He 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 came up. He had some downfalls. He he got he got back to where he's at, and now he's putting people, other people, in position to do great work. So I'm 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 yeah, proud and yeah. appreciative of the things that you do. Well, thank you, thank you, Sam. Yeah, for you guys, I mean, I like y'all. Y'all Sunday's talk with Kamari. I mean, I mean, I, I love that. You know, you guys are just so. I always say, you know, you you don't want to be the smartest one in the room. And then when when I listen to you guys, and even in our group, you know, with Joel and everything like that. It's like I get to be around some people that I'm learning. I'm constantly learning things, and it's, it's just such a blessing. Uh, so I, I look forward to your, your talks every week, and uh, it's just just yeah. good and, listen, and we appreciate you. you too, man, because we we, we learn from you, and, and and shout out to everybody. Shout out to Joel as well as Kamari. We learn from everybody, um, and that's the idea. So. Um, and make sure you guys tune into our Sunday show, uh, which is the Black Wealth Project. It's us by the hood, as well as uh, the finance rebel Kamari, uh, real estate coach Carter. Um, we got real estate Tracy, as, as well as Courtney, the Ivy investor. We just powwow every Sunday and talk about topics related to black wealth. So uh, that's our Sunday live show. But um, to your point, Willard, um, we learn from you and 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 we like to you know network with like minded individuals because. Like you talked about earlier, uh, sometimes when you try to you know talk to those closest to you, it's difficult. But you you build you build your network and you build your team around you, because just having these conversations, um, it, for one, it inspires us, but also lets us know that we're not out here doing the work alone. With the, the, the work you're mm-hmm. doing with Pow is admirable. Um, the work you're doing in the community, also, what you talked about to me, which was important, is now you figuring out a way to not only create the wealth for yourself, but to help people who are being taken advantage of and not take right. from them, but to bring them with you. And I think that's important. And I think that was one of the more powerful things that you said, because, um, you know, we're all about community. So I just want to say thank you for the work that you do as well. And we appreciate mm-hmm. your time. So um, and to our audience. Yeah, no doubt to our audience out there, please, please um, make sure that you share this episode um, I'm going to uh, put some links for uh, Willard's company and everything he has going on with the description so you can see some of the work that he's doing out there. Um, also, also, just just please make sure that you uh, hit the like button, subscribe to all of our information, whether that's via podcast or the video. But um, help support all these people that we bring on the, um, the show are people doing positive work. So make sure that you guys reach out to them and support what they got going on. Because again, it's about building the the broader community and helping each other and sharing these stories. And if you have anyone that you would like for us to talk to, please reach out to us and let us know. Um, But we'll just want to say thank you again. Um, We want to wish you much success in your future. And you you already know that we're here for you. Anything you need help with us, just let us know. Um, All right, bro. And for myself, Yeah, for myself and for my partner, Corey, as we always say, it's not about how much money you make. It's about how much you keep. Game elevates, and we'll see you guys on the next episode. Peace.